This is the Hartwell Studio Works Sports Branding Podcast, Episode 9, Brand and Licensing with Dale Arns. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Hartwell Studio Works Sports Branding Podcast. I'm John Hartwell. I am the brains and pencil behind Hartwell Studio Works. I am a sports brand designer in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is for front office personnel who want to harness the power of sports branding to win more fans. All right, so show of hands, how many folks out there have a shirt or a cap featuring the logo of your favorite sports team? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you also have a phone case cover, a cornhole board, pillowcases, golf bags, or a four-piece stainless steel grill set? (laughs) If your answer is yes, then you have come in contact with the power of sports licensing. Licensing is one of the most important ways sports properties can use their brand and brand identity to drive revenue. Dale Arns is the Assistant Athletic Director for Trademarks and Licensing at the University of Iowa, and he joins me to talk about the role of licensing and helping to grow a sports properties brand. Enjoy the show. It's my pleasure to welcome Dale Arns to the podcast today. Good afternoon, Dale. Thanks for being with us. Good afternoon, John. So before we get started here, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background and your experience in the sports business? Yeah, thanks for asking, John. Well, I've uh, I'm clocking my 33rd year here at the University of Iowa Department of Athletics here next month. It's hard to believe it's gone by so fast. I was uh, initially hired. Interestingly enough, it's uh, related to licensing, though I wasn't hired for licensing. Uh, at that time, uh, collegiate licensing was just starting around the nation. Uh, the person who hired me had been hired to start a merchandising program within athletics and found herself faced with lots of questions about this thing called licensing. And um, there was no one to refer those questions to, so she started the University of Iowa licensing program, and I was brought on board to grow upon the start of our merchandise program. So I did that for a for a number of years, um, built up our merchandise program, and did that while sharing offices with licensing. So uh, I'm here to tell you that osmosis does work when it comes to our, our brains as well, because I picked up a lot about licensing just being in proximity to it. And then uh, I guess 15 years ago, uh, we outsourced our merchandise program, which I still have oversight of, but I took over the licensing program at that time. So that entire time I've been in athletics as an athletics administrator. And so my job title is that I'm an assistant athletic director for trademarks and licensing among some other responsibilities I have. Very good. So let's, let's actually uh, start with the sports business 101 question. Then Uh, you are the AD for trademarks and licensing. What is licensing? How do you describe licensing uh, and why is it important to the sports business? Yeah, you know, um, those of us who are licensing directors on campus, uh, we're, we're very well versed in answering that question by saying, <laughs> you know, the, the, the three P's, 
uh, of licensing are, you know, number one, protection. It's, you know, we have intellectual properties that uh, we're charged with protecting. And uh, I like to say intellectual property is no different than, uh, than your wallet or someone else's, you know, uh, name their, their valued product. It, it has value. It belongs to the university. It needs to be protected. Um, we also are here to promote. Uh, so good branding, as you know, it goes hand in glove with promoting. And so we, we promote our brand. And then at the end of the day, you're, you're profiting from that uh, because in exchange for that intellectual property, those who want to align themselves with it, uh, you know, they have to pay for that use. And that can come uh, through uh, sponsorships, uh, but primarily in licensing, we're looking at products that we're uh, putting our brand on and collecting royalties. And there are some pretty big numbers that are involved uh, with licensing today. Um, it, it has been told to me that 15 years ago uh, in college athletics, a top D1 program could expect to make about $650,000 in annual licensing revenue, whereas today that same program could get upwards of $4 million. Can you talk about the changes in the collegiate athletics market that have driven that kind of dramatic increase? And what do those changes mean for how institutions manage their brand, their athletics brand? Yeah, sure, John. Um, I think I got your question there. Uh, you're in and out a little bit, but it sounds like you're talking about our program uh, in some respects, because uh, 15 years ago when I came into this role, um, we were sitting on about $600,000 in royalty. And uh, I didn't have, you know, as, as direct a perspective at that time, but, you know, we are, uh, we are certainly at that $4 million mark now consistently, if not bubbling above it occasionally. And, you know, there's so much that's changed over these last 15 years. Uh, when you just look at culture in general, um, Certainly the internet uh, didn't have the impact back then that it does now. But what I, when I take the, the aggregate of my experience, first merchandising and then segueing into licensing, what stands out to me is the evolution and the maturity of, of the marketplace anymore. Uh, the man cave per se used to be relegated to just that, the basement. You know, it's the basement man cave. And and that was uh, not some place that, uh, I don't want to speak for other people's wives, but, uh, you know, my wife wouldn't bring our house guests over there and run them to the man cave. It was <laughs> posters on a wall and memorabilia and a lot of trash and trinkets. But uh, in the house, just using one product category, uh, housewares, for instance, you know, you can you can decorate your home or your office in a very, uh, you know, first class, uh, almost, uh, what are all these uh, redesign, remodel shows that are popular on television now? Uh, it look, it's akin to that. Um, women's wear, for instance, is a huge area. Overwhelmingly apparel still makes up the bulk of collegiate licensing, but uh, women don't have to wear uh, a generic unisex size t-shirt. They can buy something that fits their their taste and their figure and their 
their lifestyle. Um, I mentioned the housewares category. Um, I don't know, 15 years ago, I, I couldn't tell you, but the, the number of product categories that we had in our program at that time was, was a pretty narrow scope, but we've had to revise product categories. And now we have 30 plus product categories with over a hundred different subcategories. So really the maturation of the marketplace, speed to market, accessibility to consumers um, via internet sales or your traditional bricks and mortars. Um, and I think that um, as that relates to athletics market, um, certainly exposure to our brand is, you know, you can't, uh, there are a plethora of options in terms of media to watch our teams. Uh, I like to say certainly success of a program has bearing on uh, the the brand and, and it's, you know, you have spikes, but we don't like to use that as either an excuse or a reason for an increase in our in our market share we we think that you have to go out and you have to get it and you have to have a good brand and you have to have a, a good plan for distributing it in the marketplace so there are a lot of of opportunities and touch points for as you said your brand to be exposed uh your brand identity becomes very very important um what should properties then know about the nuts and bolts of that brand identity, talking about their logos, their colors, their typography, what should they know in order to best take advantage then of a licensing program? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Um, I, I'm, I may be, I'm certainly a traditionalist, um, leaning even more towards a dinosaur, dinosaur, but, but uh, I say that a bit tongue in cheek, but. I think we have to be careful not to be too irreverent to our brand and to, you know, a good logo, a good brand, uh, consistent use of those brands and, and an eye on uh, consistency and color is, and then to use that consistently, repetitively and frequently is, is really important. And what I meant by, um, we have to be careful about being a little bit too irreverent. irreverent. Um, it's very trendy now, as we know, to do uh, alternative uniforms. And I think they have a place. They certainly do. But um, I sometimes wonder if we may not, at some point in the future, look back, scratch our head and say, gosh, what the heck were we thinking back <laughs> at that time? Um, we're fortunate at the University of Iowa in that, and I think we're probably unique in this respect, but as you look around the collegiate landscape, you know, we've had a very good logo and brand, um, and a good, strong color scheme that's been intact and, and consistent for over 40 years now. Um, that's pretty remarkable in today's world. Um, so uh, I think another thing to think about is um, don't don't give things away. Don't don't oversaturate. Uh, so, 
as it relates to the promotional, you know, it's very common with sponsorships that we give a lot of things away that can have a dilution effect. You want to be strategic how you use the brand, uh, certainly. Um, so, no, there are a lot of challenges out there, but at the end of the day, I'm sure you would agree. Um, make sure you have a good, unique brand. Use it consistently, repetitively, and frequently. Um, and uh, I think you'll be in a good place. Yes, very much so. Very much so. So on that same line of thinking then, what do you think represent some of the best practices in collegiate licensing today that represent how to extend the reach of a brand? Yeah. Um, you know, I talked about product categories and some of that earlier. There's there's some neat ways to do it. I was, was kind of looking at our uh, licensee portfolio and some, you know, and the, sort of pondering how some things have changed. Uh, certainly social media presents opportunities that we, we didn't have years ago and it, and it's constantly changing. There's so many platforms, but uh, um, one of the things you see in, in license in licensing of products is more and more sort of cross licensing opportunities where not only does our brand have a significant equity but there's reciprocal equity from from other recognizable brands out there, and that's a that's a way to extend reach into maybe some uh, some markets and some venues that otherwise you wouldn't. And you know, a couple this one's been around for a couple years now, but um, and and this is also representative of sort of the growth in licensing. Uh, one that comes to mind is like Dooney and Burke. Uh, which is an upscale uh, accessories line for women that in the past may not have been front and center in a Nordstrom's store in an accessories. You, know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find college brands there a few years ago, but now you can, uh, or Tommy Bahama or Vineyard Vine. So those, uh, those are some examples of brands that have equity out there that maybe we can partner with that uh, and between the two of us, we're both reaching new markets, but uh, circling back, certainly um, the social media opportunities that present themselves. And then I think you're going to see more and more of this, just looking at culture uh, product placement. How about um, who's that, who's that highly recognizable famous alum from your university and how can we get product placement with them? Um, uh, music, uh, big part of our lifestyles. You know, how do we, how do we partner with the music and inter entertainment industry uh, would be a couple that come to mind as well. So with all those opportunities, again, all the different ways that your brand can be seen and experienced, um, the, the broader it gets, the wider it gets, the more popular it gets, then the enforcement part of your, of your job comes into play. Uh, and particularly in regards to other businesses or secondary schools, using a collegiate mark uh, under the auspices of the so-called 15% rule. That is, that they think that they can use an existing mark if it is altered in some way by just 15%. So let me ask, as a once and for all, is there such a thing as the 15% rule? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not an attorney. Um, and I never heard it as the 15% rule. I, it was always presented to me as a 10% rule. 
<laughs> so I'm I'm pleased to hear that they have to that whatever that narrative is that they're increasing the amount of percentages to decreasing it. But our position here has always been, you know what? Uh, oh, listen, what do they say? If it if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck. Um, so what we our position is this: um, if it's a derivative then it it's ours uh you can't slightly change something and call it your own uh i don't see that holding up and and you know i've i know we've had we had one i guess fairly high profile case with another university here a few years ago where and we won by the way it took a while and a fair amount of money but um it was it was a lot more than 15 percent but if there's that likelihood of confusion, uh, then it doesn't matter if it's 10, 15, or 35. Uh, it shouldn't be done. And, and I would just add that as it relates to businesses and secondary schools, um, we're in a global marketplace. Uh, if, if there's someone still doing that or, or seeing that as a strategy, it's a very myopic approach. And it's and it's going to limit their opportunities to really do what they should be doing is is growing, developing and growing their own brand, and and monetizing the opportunities that exist for them. So, in regards then to secondary schools and enforcement, because that does come up uh, quite a bit in the secondary school market, what should high school ads and administrators know when they are faced with an infringement claim? Yeah. Um, well, you know, related to what I just said too, you know, high school ads and administrators, um, they need to be thinking about. Yesterday, they should have been thinking about what are we going to do with our brand, um, because if they're borrowing, and in many cases there's a lot of grandfathered borrowing that's, you know, at one time was acceptable to both or perceived as flattery, but high schools are essentially at the same place, um, perhaps even a little behind where colleges were 30, 40 years ago. Um, they should be developing, working with a professional and, and work uh, developing their own unique brand and, and registering that certainly in their state um, and beginning their own licensing program. And when we encounter high schools that are using our brand, um, we take a very uh, relational approach to that. Uh, we see it as a high form of flattery, but I always advise them and mentor them towards the reasons why they should they should be doing that. Um, it, you know, the traditional model for a high school was to fund their athletic programs in part through booster club sales of merchandise. Well, that worked at one point, and in some respects, it can still work a little bit. But most communities anymore, you can buy online or at the local drugstore and grocery store every high school within a you know 40-mile radius at least. And they're not getting anything from that. They have no control over how it's used. They're not getting any revenue uh, unless they own that brand themselves. 
Very good. Well, I tell you what, Dale, this is a, a topic that I could talk about for a very long time, and I, I really enjoyed this kind of nuts and bolts conversation about this this particular topic. Um, but thank you so much for your time today and sharing your expertise and your experience on this topic. I'm, I know that there's a lot here in this conversation for the audience uh, to take away and use. Um, so thank you again very much, and I will hopefully look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks, in a couple of months uh, at NACTA. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, John. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. My thanks again to Dale for his time and willingness to share his brand and licensing insights. I hope you found it helpful and that you'll be able to use it in your efforts to win more fans. You can get in touch with Dale by email and through LinkedIn. His contact information is posted in the show notes for this episode, found at the podcast page of my website, HartwellStudioWorks.com. If you're listening in iTunes, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and hey, write a review. Help other sports professionals find this podcast. If you'd like to talk some sports branding yourself, you can reach out to me by email at john at HartwellStudioWorks.com. You can also follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, using the handle HartwellStudio. And you can check out my entire portfolio of sports branding work at HartwellStudioWorks.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.